So it's me again. <laughs> um, I shared a little bit about how I ended up in Mongolia during Sabbath school, and so I'm going to pick up the story from there. But before we begin, shall we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming together and worshiping you as a family here in this sanctuary. Please send your Holy Spirit to be with us. May our worship be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I ended up heading towards Mongolia straight out of college. Uh, you know, young people really don't know as much as they think they do. <laughs> and I was one of those who thought I knew a lot, so I knew even less. And I knew very little about Mongolia, apart from the fact that uh, Genghis Khan, which is incorrect, was a conqueror uh, during the 12th century. It is actually Chinggis Khan. And the only other thing I knew about Mongolia was Mongolian beef, and that is also not true. That's Chinese. So, <laughs> so the two things I thought I knew about Mongolia were both false. So that was about it. That was my entire repertoire of Mongolia. And I thought, okay, Lord, the rest is on you. So you're going to have to lead the way. 27 years ago, uh, oh, excuse me, we did want to start with our Bible, one of our Bible texts. And um, this is talking about sowing. And if you guys know this text in Corinthians, you know that if you plant little and you sow little, you shall also reap little. So we need to go out and just spread those seeds everywhere, right? All right, so I ended up going to Mongolia through Beijing. And you guys know that China, China is a communist country. And I ended up staying there trying to figure out how I was going to get my visa to go into Mongolia. And finally, one miracle after another after another, God provided this visa. So here I am with all my luggage. I had, a, I had plenty of luggage even before I arrived in Beijing. And then I met some wonderful fellow brothers and sisters who said, oh man, you poor thing going to Mongolia, what on earth are you going to eat? And I'm like, why? Is there no food there? <laughs> you know, remember, I knew nothing about Mongolia. And so they went out and they purchased a 20-kilo bag of rice. That's about 44 pounds. A 20-kilo bag of wheat, another 44 pounds, and another 20-kilo bag of beans. And like, you know, if all else fails, you can eat this and survive for a while. And they had me really worried. But now I had all this extra luggage on top of my huge suitcases. And so I get to the airport check in my luggage. I had to pay a whole bunch in overweight fees. And I'm getting on to this plane. And this is a plane I had never heard of before, never seen before. Has anyone ever heard of Miat? No. Okay, so Miat airplanes belong to Mongolia International Air Transportation. And they are Aeroflot reject planes. So if you know what Aeroflot is, this is the Russian, the Soviet airlines. They weren't really the top-grade airplanes either, but these planes were Aeroflot rejects. So you can only imagine how not up to speed they were. Well, the minute I got on the plane, I thought, oh, we are in big trouble because my chair was not bolted to the floor of the plane. It moved. It was like your uh, minivan car seats. They fold and they come up. And I said, excuse me, ma'am, could I have a different seat? I think this is broken. She said, no, 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 don't worry about it. They're supposed to be like that. We use this as a cargo plane sometimes. So I was a little um, OK, a little bit panicked. I was trying to buckle my seatbelt. My whole chair is moving. And then my seat was wet. And I just kept feeling this drip, 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 drip. And I look in the overhead. The vent is dripping on me. So I said, excuse me, this stewardess really probably hated me. I said, excuse me, can you yeah, stop this? She said, don't worry, as soon as we take off, the air conditioner's not going to work anyway. 
So I was like, mm, okay, all right, this is a real dubious start here, but we're okay. So we sit and we wait and we wait and we wait some more. I'm like, excuse me, even I'm getting tired of talking to her. What's the delay? She's like, well, we're having a small problem. Yeah, small according to her is not small according to me. I said, well, what is that problem? We can't get the emergency door shut. And my first thought was, why was the emergency door open? They couldn't get it shut. So I said, are they fixing it? Well, yeah, you could say that. And in comes a welding team. And they welded the emergency door shut. And I just prayed, Lord, please don't let us need this emergency door exit. The entire way my prayer was, please let me land safely, you know, no more problems. And finally, hours later, plane taxis, okay, if any of you guys have been on a plane, you know, you gain speed and you take off. Well, this gained speed and then hit the brakes and turned around, came right back to the terminal. I said, excuse me, <laughs> what is the problem now? Oh, the plane is too heavy to take off. It was all those beans. <laughs> So this plane had to unload half of the luggage, and I said, Lord, please don't let it be my half. I said, what happens to all this luggage? They said, oh, it'll come in the next plane. When is that? Well, we're not sure. So I said, Lord, please let my stuff be on this plane. And we finally taxied, and we took off. Now, this was August 31st, 1992, and I had graduated from college with a degree in English, history, and French, finished in three years, one major a year. And I took off to Mongolia thinking, all right, God is going to do great things with me. And oh, little did I know I had a long way to go. We are getting ready to land. And, um, you know, most of the times when the signal ding, ding goes on, please fasten your seatbelt. You know, well, everybody does, but not anybody on this plane. They all started getting up and getting stuff out of the overhead compartments. And I think I was the only one with my seatbelt to my non-bolted chair still fastened. And this lady next to me, she taps me. She's like, oh. You need to get dressed. And when I left Beijing, it was about 40 degrees. Uh, this is Celsius now, so it was like 90-some degrees, 80% humidity. It was so hot, I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And these people were putting on wool coats, fur coats, leather jackets, and I thought, they're nuts. What on earth are they doing? We're going to fry. And the grandma next to me, she just kept, you, I'm like, oh, no, I'm hot. I'm fine. You know, I'm okay. Well, if you take a look, the plane lands in the middle of the tarmac. There's no jet bridge. There's nothing. The minute they opened the door, a blast of negative 10-degree wind flew into the airplane, and my eyelashes froze to my face. And I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to freeze to death here. August 31st. As we're getting off the plane, the grandma's like tapping at me, you run. I'm like, yeah, yeah, good idea. I'm going to run. Well, you got off the plane. The terminal is over a kilometer away almost a half a mile away and you have to run there that was probably the fastest 500 meters I ever ran with my carry-ons right get to the terminal I'm like okay I'm gonna be okay there is no heat in the terminals so it is just as cold if not colder inside than it was outside I thought oh, Lord you can't be doing this to me I'm a Southern California girl and I started looking for a cart and the luggage carousel, and I looked all over, nothing to be seen. There were no carts, and there was no luggage carousel. So I looked around, like, what am I supposed to do? And this guy in this, you know, communist green cap, he said, oh, you, you, this over there. And he pointed back at the airplane. I had to go back and get my own luggage out of the cargo hold. I just sat down and started crying, except it hurt because it froze on my cheeks. 
So I was like, oh, what am I supposed to do? These two very clever entrepreneurial young boys, maybe high school kids, they came over with their minute English and they're like, you baggage me? Yes? <laughs> yes. They're like, you give dollar? Dollar? I'm like, many, many dollars. <laughs> like, just go get my luggage. Well, they're like, okay, you follow them. I don't want to go. And they're like, no, 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 I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, they don't know what my bags are. They don't care about luggage tags, right? So I actually went back, uh, you know, kilometer back to the airplane. We got my luggage, and that was my entree into Mongolia. August 31st, 1992, 10 below zero and shorts and a t-shirt. Well, I would love to say that life got a lot easier after that, but that would be a falsehood, and we are in the holy sanctuary. So I won't go that direction, but it was... Uh, amazing uh, testament to God's miraculous saving grace again and again and again. Now I want to share a little bit about Mongolia. The first thing you'll notice, the letters here, it's not your Latin alphabet, right? This is Cyrillic. And you know, Cyrillic is used by Russian and Slavic languages, right? So this is amazing. Right before I ended up going to Mongolia, I told you during Sabbath school that I was supposed to go to Uzbekistan. I call them the Stans, you know, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all of the former, former Soviet Union Stans. And that fell through at the last minute. But because of that, I had actually studied the Cyrillic alphabet and Russian. So when I landed in Mongolia, I could read all the signs. Unfortunately, I couldn't understand a lick of it, but I could read them. So this is actually my name, Joan Park Anogina Dantistin, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's telling my country, ethnicity, who I am. This was my Mongolian ID card. Now, when uh, I landed in Mongolia, it was so drab and dreary. I don't know if any of you have traveled to former Soviet countries or if you've seen them in photos or even on National Geographic. Everything is gray. <laughs> gray and brown and, and dark and beige. Very bland. There's no, you know, kick or oomph or color anywhere because everyone lives a very subdued life. These buildings are all circa 1960. They're, you know, they haven't been fixed in ages. That playground was probably from the 1950s. There was more rust than steel on them. Really, really sad looking place. And this is the city center. But the majority of the Mongolians at that time still lived in the outskirts. And they lived in these little communities that we call the Gare community. Now, here's another thing that's wrong that I'm going to correct everybody. If you watch National Geographic and they tell you about Mongolia and the vast frontiers and the steppes, they call them yurts. That is wrong. That is a Russian word. They are called Gares, G-E-R. So now whenever you talk to people, you can say it the official way. They are Gares. And these Gares are really like the nomadic tent structures that these Mongolian shepherds and, uh, you know, the herdsmen lived in for centuries, maybe millennia. And they still burn, you know, wood stoves, and they live here. And they're all in the outskirts of the community, very poor areas and, you know, uh, very, I don't want to say primitive, but very old culture, non-modern. And one of the funniest stories I have to tell about Mongolia is when I landed, they didn't have toilet paper. They used newspaper. <laughs> Anybody want to try some newspaper? I prefer Charmin any day. <laughs> I refused. I'm like, I'm going to get like toxic poisoning using that ink. <laughs> I'm not going to wipe with that. So I would try and find other paper. It's so hard, it hurts, you know. So I would, you know, rub it like this and try and soften the paper, turn it into pulp. It didn't really work. And so I hunted high and low for toilet paper. I thought, this, this is not a luxury, God. I deserve toilet paper out here. 
And I found some in a very expensive foreign store. And you know, it says, you know, the toilet paper says 200 ply, 300 ply. What? Well, this is 400, 400 single ply. And it actually cost a dollar per roll. I mean, that sounds expensive now. Think 27 years ago. And put this in comparison, my monthly salary was $25. How many of you want to use a dollar on toilet paper? It got to the point where we used to joke, oh, don't forget, you have to use both sides before you flush it. <laughs> so when Mongolia came up with their own toilet paper, I was so excited. I took pictures and I sent it home to my mom via snail mail. Three months later, she gets this picture. And she's like, there are more holes than there are paper. And I said, yeah, you have to wrap a lot to get full coverage. <laughs> okay. But it was a lot cheaper than paying a whole dollar for a roll of toilet paper. Now, think money now. If you look at these bills, 5, 10, 20. These are tugriks. The Mongolian uh, currency is called a tugrik. And these are the big bills. The 20 was the biggest bill you could get. But it was only worth fractions of a penny. Okay, so they had a three tugrik bill, a one tugrik, and they even had coins. So when I went into the bank to change my money, $25, I needed a huge backpack and plastic bags to get my tugrik money. And it was so valueless that there was a joke going around at that time that a man went to the bank, got a whole bunch of money, he withdrew it, he needed a wheelbarrow. So he put all his money in the wheelbarrow, and as he was going home, he got mugged, he got robbed. And so the thief was running off with his wheelbarrow full of money, but the guy was calling for help, and people started going after him. And he realized, I'm going to get caught, I'm going to get caught. So he threw all the money away, and he stole only the wheelbarrow. That's how worthless the money was. In fact, I would never do it, because who knows what was on that money. It would have been cheaper to just wipe with the, the bills. <laughs> When I was there, I ended up doing a lot of things. I taught English, uh, I taught French, but one of the things that I ended up doing was teaching health education. And it was really sad because the country has a very high literacy rate, about like 95%, and that's amazing for a developing country, but that doesn't guarantee anything. Their level of education is not nearly the same as the Western world. So we have doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals who were not following basic hygiene. So here I am, 21-year-old, fresh grad, no degree whatsoever, no background in health. I'm teaching health to medical professionals. It was so bad that at the number one hospital now in Mongolia, they didn't have names for hospitals. It was all based on hierarchy. And this is communist countries. The number one is the best, right? So the number one children's hospital, they had a series of five infant deaths. And it was found out later that the doctor did not wash properly between patients, and these five children died of sepsis infection. It was horrible. And it should never have happened. But that's the level of health care. So there's another joke, and it's kind of sad but true. It's not really funny. You don't go to the hospital unless you want to die. So no matter how sick you are, you treat yourself at home. So I ended up having like an in-house dispensary. I was like the local expat hospital. But I ended up doing this, working with the government, teaching them anti-tobacco, anti-alcohol, things like that. And I traveled all over the world. I'm sorry, I thought that. I was all over Mongolia. It seemed like that. And these children had never been taught interactively. You know, I did all kinds of experiments and worked with the kids. And, you know, they were used to this, sitting at the desk and, yes, teacher, no teacher, yes. That was how they had learned. So when I did these, okay, everybody's going to get up and we're going to do teamwork activities. But even the adults were flipping out. This is so fun, you know. Can't we have seminars like this all the time? And these children loved it. I don't know how much actually sank in, but these are the types of things that I was traveling around the country doing. 
Now, during the children's story, I told you, we traveled where there are no roads. So even though I had a Mongolian driver's license and I could drive, I couldn't drive because I can't navigate by mountains. I don't know about you guys, you know, and even Pathfinder kids probably wouldn't be able to navigate by the mountains. So we went as a group. I had a separate driver. I had some Mongolian assistants and we traveled all over the rural areas. This is the Gobi Desert. You know, we traveled everywhere. There are no restaurants. There are no pit stops, no bathrooms, nothing. So we had to scrounge, and I said, well, what are we going to eat? Oh, we'll figure something out. We'll build a campfire. I said, there's no fuel here. This is a desert. There are no trees. There's no coal. There's no gas. I'm like, don't worry. And they hand me this basket and a scooper. They're like, you go get the fuel. I'm like, what? Cow patties. <laughs> they wanted me to go, and I'm like, you mean poop? You want me to pick up poop? I'm not going to touch that. I was all flipping out, you know, you know middle, little miss, you know, Southern California girl. I hadn't even been on a farm before. And so they're like, Go out and collect it. I'm like, no, because if we cook over that, it's going to stink. And they're like, no, just go collect it. So they gave me this long scooper, and I realized I would scoop it, and, you know, you can't reach your backpack with this long scoop. So I said, well, how am I supposed to do it? And they're like, you toss it up, and you catch it in the basket. Well, I thought I was pretty coordinated, you know. I played all kinds of sports until, I landed on, until it landed on my head like 15 times. I'm like, this is disgusting. And... Eventually, I became a pro. It was just all a flip of the wrist. It's like flipping pancakes. I collected all of the fuel. We started a fire, and we actually made all kinds of soup, and we had a great meal in the middle of the Gobi Desert like this. If you look in the background of that other picture, those are yaks. And so, you know, Mongolians love yak butter because it's super fatty and it's so cold, they need that insulation. But because it's super rich, anyone who's lactose intolerant, you know what's going to happen? <laughs> yak butter and I did not get along at all. <laughs> when I was there, I went through and I had brought tons of food, but I also brought tons of Bible teaching aids. Now, here is the problem. I could read the Cyrillic alphabet, but I didn't know a single word in Mongolian. And I thought, Lord, how are you going to use me? I, I, how am I supposed to reach them? Nobody spoke English, and you know, nobody spoke Korean. And in fact, only a couple people were starting to learn French at the school where I was teaching. So I really prayed. I said, Lord, you know, short of a miracle, we're going to have some serious problems and delays here. Well, miracles happen to be God's specialty, right? And I will tell you that the gift of tongues is alive and well. It is not a bunch of gibberish for show, but it is a practical tool that God gifts to people on an as-needed basis. And he gifted me with the gift of tongues then. So within three months, I went from I didn't even know how to say hello to teaching Bible in Mongolian. And today, I speak Mongolian better probably than I speak Korean. Um, at that time, I was probably one of two, three foreigners who spoke Mongolian at all. And to this day, I'm probably one of a handful of foreigners who speak fluent Mongolian. So I knew that God had a special plan because no matter how gifted you are with languages, you do not learn a foreign language in three months. Uh, nor do you do it going from scratch, never studying it and being fluent. This is a special gift from God. We started a small home group and in my living room, you know, just with a couple people singing songs. I taught them English songs. We started translating them into Mongolian. I teach them Bible stories. Now, you have to think, evangelism in Mongolia is so foreign because if you evangelize to your neighbors here down the street, we have meetings and health seminars, 
we're talking, preaching to a culture that is Judeo-Christian. That means even if they're not Christian, they have a Judeo-Christian background. You go out on the streets, you've got nativity scenes at Christmas, you know, everybody knows it's not about just Santa Claus, you know. They know what Easter is, you know, the resurrection, they, vague. They've been raised in this kind of culture, but in Mongolia, they're like, Jesus, what's that? It's not even a who's that, it's a what's that. They have no idea who God is. And so we're starting from scratch, trying to explain to them, well, you know, the fall of mankind, how God had created everybody, but because of sin, he needed to save them. Step by step by step. And it's very complicated when you don't have a foundation. This little group grew. This is my hallway. The, the, the youth there, now remember, I was only 21, but I was the oldest person there. <laughs> So I was like, everybody's big sister. Half of these kids I ended up practically raising. Uh, I think there was only two people who were my age or older. These are all young children, but they had a passionate thirst for God. They wanted to know him. And the group continued to grow. That's now my living room. We are so packed, we don't fit anymore. And it got to the point where we had to rent a hall. Praise the Lord. This group grew and grew and grew. When I arrived August 31st, we had zero Adventists in the entire country, almost no Christians. And then on October 1993, we had our first baptism. These two young girls chose to completely dedicate their lives to God, even in defiance of parental, um, well, I hate to say it, but persecution. Uh, despite issues with school, despite their friends' mockery, they chose to make a stand for Christ. Um, interestingly enough, when I told you I was teaching French, the young lady in the blue denim shirt was one of my French students. And she was real clever. She thought, oh, you know, this French teacher is really young. She's my age. We can be friends. So she came to me. She's like, can you, you know, teach me on a private basis. We will be friends. I'm like, sure, sure. She's like, so you will help me learn French faster? I said, yeah, no problem. But you know, I only have one French book and it's called La Sainte Bible. And I'm like, and she's like, well, what is that? I said, oh, it is the most amazing book ever. It's got the best stories and everything. She's like, really? Okay. So you will teach me French from this book? I said, oh yeah, we'll teach you French and Bible too. <laughs> 13 months later, she became one of the first baptized Adventist church members. And get this, she is still going strong. She is now the director of health education for the Mongolia mission. The baptisms continued one by one after long-term studying. We had some more young people joining the church. And these are all kids that were part of my home group. They continued to grow. And by the time the official church was planted in 1998, uh, we had over 60 believers. So what happened since then and now? So when the official church was planted, the general conference said, okay, Joanne, thank you. <laughs> You're done. Your job is finished. You were the church planter. We'll send our team in now. And so they sent in a general conference ordained missionary pastor, and we handed over the keys to the church, and we left. And that was the fall of 1998. But, you know, in my heart, if you think about it, I spent almost five years in Mongolia. That was about a, a fifth of my young life at that time. And so Mongolia held a very dear place in my heart. And I said, Lord, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I know that at some point you didn't give me this gift for no reason, so I will be ready to go back when called. Now, my husband and I were thinking that would probably be in retirement. <laughs> so um, 
my husband, that's, that is an, an entire story on its own, but I will give you the encapsulated version. Um, I met him when I came out during the middle of my mission term. Because remember, I was doing so much health education, but none of my degrees reflected that. So the government wanted something substantial. So halfway through, I actually came out, went to Loma Linda, and I got my master's in public health in a shortened five quarters. <laughs> And as a, a conclusion to that, I needed to do an intern, internship. So I actually went to Weimar and worked with the New Start program for about three months. And I met a young student there who um, told me that he had fallen in love with me and he was going to marry me. And I said, no, you're not. <laughs> because number one, I'm going to Mongolia and I have no idea when I'm coming back. I've committed to at least three more years, but that could turn into five, that could turn into 10. And I said, and I don't, I don't want to deal with long distance, whatever, and, and I'm sorry, but you know, you're Korean and I'm not interested. <laughs> so, and, and get this, his name is John Kim. I mean, how much more generic Korean can you get than John Kim? So I said, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> and he's like, no, you know, I've been praying about this, this, you know, this, this whole spring, and God has led me to you. And I even laid out my own Gideon test, and, and you're the girl I'm going to marry. And I'm like, well, good luck. I'm not going to marry you. Well, he decided that he was still going to drive down and meet my family. And I'm like, I really don't want you to. And then he said something that really touched me. Like I said, I was not interested in him, but he said, hey, Jacob waited for Rachel for seven years. You think I can't wait three or four or five? I will wait for you. And even though I wasn't interested, I was very touched. And I said, you know, but I actually don't want you to wait because that's very burdensome. Okay, so let's say I come back in three or four or five years and I still don't like you. Then I'm going to feel guilty. <laughs> You've wasted all this time. And he's like, no, no obligations whatsoever. I'm going to wait. So he actually came down. He met my mother and he did the full Korean thing, the bow and, you know, please give me your daughter's hand in marriage. And I'm like, what are you doing? And my mother felt like a ton of bricks. She's like, oh, I like him. You know? And he was really smart. He knew exactly what to do. You know, my brother, real, you know, sporty guy and with him. It was like, oh, yeah, James, let's play basketball. And they watch NFL together, go to the Dodgers games. My brother's like, okay, yeah, he's a good guy. With my sister, you know, a little bit of pocket money, nice new purse. Oh, you look so pretty today. <laughs> they both fell like a ton of bricks, too. I'm like, okay, you know, this isn't working out here because no, 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 no. I don't care what he's doing. I'm not interested. Every vacation for two years, instead of going home, he went to my mom's house. He fixed up the house for her, you know, mowed the lawn, pruned the fruit trees. My mother was so in love with him. She's like, oh, if I were only 30 years younger. <laughs> and she's like, Joanne, he is a really good guy. You need to consider him. You know, during this whole time, too, he wrote to me diligently whether I answered or not. And remember, this is well before the internet age. We're talking snail mail here. Like, remember, three months at a time just to get a letter every week. I would go to the post office and there were just stacks of letters from him, you know, telling me that he was praying for this and whatever and how, you know, something he had learned in school. And, you know, he was studying theology. He was going to be a pastor. And in spite of myself, I was feeling more and more drawn to him. And I thought, why do we love Jesus? Because he first loved me. 
And that is what my husband did. He showed unconditional love for so long that I finally fell in love with him also. So he finished his schooling and I came out on furlough. We got married and he actually spent the last year of Mongolia missions together with me. So his Mongolian is quite funny. I have a million funny stories about the, the kerfuffles he got into because of his uh, incorrect Mongolian, but he tried and he really loved the people. So in our hearts, we knew that someday we would be back. We just didn't know when or how. So when we left in 1998, we had decided during our time in Mongolia, instead of him going into just ministry, we wanted to be tent-making missionaries. So he went back to school to do pre-med, pre-dent. And uh, I said, you know, we are going to be pastors and missionaries no matter where we go, whether we get a conference salary or not. So let's do something that gives us a livelihood on top of all of that. So he went, and um, again, this is much later now. So by the time he finished dental school, he was the oldest graduating student in his class with three kids climbing all over him at the, at the graduation ceremony. But he had actually gotten an U.S., he gotten an a uh, US Air Force scholarship. So he became a captain upon graduating and we served all over the place for many years continuing in the ministry. So we ran the chaplain services at the bases we were at. We attended the local churches at whatever country we were stationed in. We continued our ministry on base and off base. Now if any of you guys know Uncle Sam, his retirement plan is quite cushy, right? If you give Uncle Sam a full 20 years, you will get 50% of your highest military salary for the rest of your life. And if he had finished at Colonel, he's a Lieutenant Colonel right now, if he had finished at Colonel, that would have been a very nice, comfortable salary. And the goal was we would use that retirement money to go and serve him anywhere in the world because we would have no financial you know, um, desperation, no financial needs to obligate us to stay in one place. That was the goal. And then, God called us back. But before we get there, I want to show you the difference in Mongolia from 1998 to now. Number one, we have a nice airport. <laughs> we have carts, we have a luggage carousel, and best of all, we have a jet bridge, okay? You do not have to walk from a kilometer away to get to the inside of the terminal. Look at the color in the city now. It went from drab and dreary and gray and brown to pinks and purples. You, you, you almost think they were deprived of color for so long. They purposely painted their houses like rainbow colors and everywhere, tons of color. And you know what? The city population boomed. Does that look like a rural area to you? My mom came for the first time this past summer and she's like, this looks like Seoul. Are you sure this is Mongolia? I mean, what is this downtown area looks like any other metropolitan in the world? It was a huge boom. Look at that monetary note. How many zeros now? Forget the 20, it's 20,000 tugriks. But you know what? Inflation has hit. You still need a backpack to go trade to change your money. And the baptisms continue. We had a wonderful series of evangelistic meetings with It Is Written three years ago. And it was in the spring, right after the spring thaw, but that water temperature was about one or two degrees. So it was just above freezing. And look at her face, though. Doesn't she look thrilled to be in that water? She was so happy. Look at this group of baptized. That's only half the picture. I didn't get the other half because my camera didn't have panoramic mode. But hundreds of people joining the church. Look at this group of young people filling an auditorium. Almost 2,000 people came holding up their Bibles. Yes, we believe this is the word of God. 
Look at these adorable pathfinders. Okay, you can't tell in this picture, but this is a really funny story. None of their identifying conference patches match because they were all donated from different conferences. <laughs> so we've got Wisconsin Conference, Northern California, you got Georgia, Cumberland. We even had some from Hong Kong. But these kids didn't know that. They can't read it. They're just so happy to be in uniform. Prior to this, we just had like matching t-shirts. They were so proud to be on the stage in matching they thought, matching Pathfinder uniforms. So today, we have over 30 churches and home groups and companies, 3,000 plus baptized members. This is from zero 27 years ago. We now have six Mongolian ordained pastors, five of these different Pathfinder companies. We have over 20 books that have been translated, including Spirit of Prophecy, Daily Devotionals, and Bible Study books. There are 10 expat families, including five families from Korea that the Korean Union sent. And we have a small church school, elementary church school, attached to the central church for elementary grades one through five. That brings us to Mongolia of the future. When I say that I was called back to Mongolia, in the interim years, we went back regularly. I wanted my kids to you know, know their Mongolian heritage. In fact, I was pregnant with my first child when we left Mongolia, so I said, you're half Mongolian. So I said, you guys have a history in Mongolia, and you know mom and dad. We love Mongolia dearly. We will be back. So we went on many mission trips, short-term mission trips from 2011, 2014, 2016. Well, in 2016, the then newly uh, entered Mongolia mission president was a Korean pastor. And after the evangelistic meetings were over, he invited us to his home for dinner. And he said, Joanne, we need you to come back. And I said, oh, you know, my husband and I have always planned to come back. We will. He's like, no, now. I said, oh, no, 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 not now. Later. <laughs> I said, in retirement. We're almost there. He's going to hit his 20 years, and then we will be free, and we will come. And he's like, no, 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 we need you now. We have all of these young people and no school for them. You know, they've got this small elementary school, and when they finish fifth grade, what happens? They leave. When they leave the school, what happens? They leave the church. They end up making friends with those that are not Christians. They follow a lifestyle that is very not Christian, and so they end up leaving. And remember, even their parents don't have a strong Adventist base, a foundation, so the parents aren't sure what to do. They're not receiving that Christian education at home, so the, pa the pastor was saying they need Adventist education. We need it now. And I said, listen, Pastor, I understand that, you know, and, and I'm really gung-ho about it. And I said, but, you know, the timing isn't right for us. I have, I have four kids, and at that time, only one of them was in college, and I had another high school, you know, junior high and an elementary. And I said, Lord, you know, the Lord knows that we're interested, we want to, but now is not the right time. So we'll be praying about it. And he's like, listen, Joanne, God has told me that the time is right because, number one, how many people, foreigners, speak Mongolian fluently like you? I would venture to say zero. Number two, how many people have an Adventist education background? I was then, at that time, the principal of Guam Adventist Academy. And he's like, number three, how many people have a heart for Mongolia and that the Mongolians know and trust? Because I was the mother of the Mongolian church. In fact, Apparently now I'm the grandmother and even the great-grandmother of the Mongolian church. And I said, let's stick with grandma for now. I don't want to go there. But he was saying that I was the right person for the job. And I said, you know, God has people everywhere. You know, don't worry about it, Pastor. He'll find the right person. And we left. And that burden stayed in my heart. And the spirit was really pressuring. 
And I thought it was just me, but my husband was feeling that too. And he's like, listen, we really need to pray about this. And so we did. And what I eventually did was I tossed out four Gideon fleece tests. Uh, and they were ones that I thought would be absolutely impossible to come true because my goal was to get out of it, right? I was trying to find excuses not to follow his call. So they were four that I thought, oh, these are never going to happen. So we're safe and whew, now we're okay, at least for the next five or six years. Boom, 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 boom. Within a span of a couple months, all four that I thought were impossible had come to fruition. And if that wasn't an answer, I didn't know what was. So you thought I would submit and say, okay, God, I'll go. No, I didn't. <laughs> I should have, but I was still kicking and, oh, come on, God, you can't do this to me. You know, people are like, we're nuts to give up a military pension when we're this close to retirement. And, and you know, look at my kids and what are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. One excuse after another. Now, our kids knew all about this. We pray about it. We talk about it during family worship. And then one night, my littlest, uh, she's only, she was only about seven then, she got very serious. She's like, Mommy, you know what? If you keep running away like this, God is going to send a big fish to swallow you. And then if you are in that fish's belly for three days, you are going to stink really bad. And I'm not going to hug and kiss you anymore. Out of the mouth of babes, we were shamed in front of our children. We had been teaching them since they were born that we love God and that we were submitting to his will and that we were following his guidance. And here we were. We had to get smacked in the head by a seven-year-old. And at that time, my husband and I, we really repented. And we said, you know what? We need to submit to God's will or we are not raising our children properly and they are going to grow up thinking we are hypocrites. So the next family worship, we said, all right, kids. This family is not a democracy. Mommy and Daddy will ultimately make the decision, but you at least get a say in this. And so we said, you guys know that this is going to upend our lives completely. Everything as you knew it will no longer exist. We don't even know. There's no Air Force scholarship for you, so you better get cracking on those books. And you know, we're like, you two, you're going to have to come. You're not going to go to school. You're going to homeschool until we get things going. And I said, how many of you still want us to accept this call and go back to Mongolia. And one by one, all four of our kids raised their hands. So we prayed. We said, all right, Lord, we submit to your will. That was 2016. And in 2017, I moved back to Mongolia. When I received that call, it was a hard thing. And I, like I said, I fought tooth and nail until my daughter threatened me after the Gideon test with the big fish. And I decided I did not want to, and you know, landlocked Mongolia, I don't know, but remember, I lived in Guam before this, so yeah, he could have sent a fish to swallow me. <laughs> but I started researching and reading, and I realized, ah, this call is more than about just an Adventist school in Mongolia. This is about salvation, because look, the role of education is part of the plan of redemption. It's to restore in man the image of his maker to bring him back to the perfection in which he was created, to promote the development of body, mind, and soul, that the divine purpose in his creation may be realized. This was to be the work of redemption. This is the objective and education of education, the great object of life. As parents, teachers, educators, church leaders, church brothers and sisters, we have an obligation to our youth to restore in their image God's character. So, we have started Gateway International Education Corporation in Mongolia, and it was a long time coming. Remember, I said I went there at the beginning of 2017. We're almost at 2020 now. 
But you know what? Everything works in God's timing. And one of the things that I realized is that post-communist Mongolia, everything needs a little greasing to get done, if you know what I mean. We do not believe in paying bribes. And so nothing gets done the way we want it to. And they're like, oh yeah, I can help you. You give me a little help, I give you a little help. And I said, oh, we don't work that way. And so they're like, oh, and then we don't work, period. <laughs> so this land issue became huge. And we kept saying, Lord, you know, you, you have to work through this. And so I tossed out another Gideon fleece. I said, listen, God, if this is your will, I'm setting another deadline. If we don't get this land by December 31st, I'm going to understand that this is not right. And we're going to back out. I'm telling you, you got to, you know, when God says, try me and test me and see if I'm not faithful, he is. December 29th. The land grant came through, and <clears throat> we purchased 138 acres. Why do we have such a huge piece of land? Because the goal is not just an academy. This is supposed to be holistic education. So we are going to have a vocational school, an agriculture center, and a wellness center. Now everyone's like, why agriculture? Well, because we have nothing to eat in Mongolia. They have a minuscule growing season. So, you know, Everything, I remember my diet back then was potatoes and cabbage, cabbage and potatoes, potatoes and cabbage baked, potatoes and cabbage steamed. And I could write a potatoes and cabbage cookbook. And even to this day, I'm not too thrilled about potatoes and cabbage anymore. But if we have our own greenhouses and our own um, land farming, everything, we won't have any problems with our diet this time around. So the last one, which kind of got cut off there, is a retreat and recreation center. Because I think that as... Um, a long-term goal, we need to plan for financial responsibility. We can't continue living these projects off of donations. So the goal is we are collecting donations for a capital building fund, and we have in place a means of generating income. The agriculture center, we will be selling surplus food at a farmer's market, and the resort, if any of you guys have ever had Mongolia on your bucket list, you know, Gobi Desert and all that, you can look it up. Those trips are not cheap. You get a seven-day, ten-day trip. It's about eight or nine thousand dollars, and I can guarantee you, from someone who lives there, it does not cost eight or nine thousand dollars to do all that stuff. They are making a humongous profit, and I said, you know what? Let's create a win-win situation here. We give tourists value for their money a lot cheaper, and we provide an authentic Christian experience in Mongolia. And we make money for the rest of our gateway entities. So this is our long-term goal. This is an outreach tool. Our students will have jobs and training in the tourism and hospitality industry. And on top of that, all the guests who come are going to say, hey, what's up with this resort? You guys are really different. Well, you know what? We've been called to be different. God wants us to be a peculiar people. You know, so many people have turned peculiar into weird. It's okay. God wants us to be peculiar. We're supposed to stand out. This resort is going to stand out. So we've got this beautiful land, and it took a year to get that red stamp. That's our land permit. And it's located in this perfect area just outside the capital city of Ulaanbaatar because Ulaanbaatar is like a smog pit. And right outside the mountain, it's kind of like you know, Loma Linda, right? Okay, so you're, you're stuck trapped in all these mountains and all that smog, but just outside the mountains, we have this beautiful, beautiful, pristine air. And so that's where the land is located. Now, if you notice the shape of these buildings, they look a little bit like Gares. We're trying to make this a culturally appropriate school that they can feel ownership for. It's not just a bunch of foreigners came in and built this and it's a foreigner's project. This is a Mongolia mission project. This is their school. 
We had our groundbreaking ceremony this past June after we put up the fence and everything. We had the big wigs you know, from the mission and from the division. They all came out. Beautiful ceremony. We had over 50 Mongolian church leaders and pastors come, and that's when they really hit them. This is our project. And once they started feeling ownership for it, now they're taking responsibility for it as well. So this is the long-term goal of the school. We have to make it not just financially sustainable, but the goal is to make this a training ground, the center of the Mongolian mission. You know, we've heard and read this so many times, particularly as Adventists, that the harvest is great, the laborers are few. Well, I say we need to train up that whole, you know, cadre, a new army of laborers. You know, we can't just expect that they're going to miraculously sprout up. Let's train them up. And you know what is amazing, and I told you that uh, when I learned Mongolian, there were, no, there were no Mongolians who spoke English, French, Korean, none of them. Since then, these Mongolians are amazingly talented. They speak English, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Russian. They, they've got all these language skills. And I'm thinking, I wonder how that is. Why are they more talented at learning languages than any other culture? Well, they've been this landlocked sandwich country for centuries, right? They've got Russians to the north, Chinese to the south, and they have no water port, no access. They're stuck there. If they don't have connections with the outside, their neighboring bordering countries, they can't do anything. Then when communism fell, they realized, oh, Russian and Chinese is not going to help us anymore. We need to you know, get chummy-chummy with those who have the money and the power to help us. And that was the US, Japan, and Korea. So now all of these young people speak Korean, English, Japanese. It is amazing. So you know these new foreign missionaries that go into Mongolia, they have a really hard time learning Mongolian. Why? Because everybody already speaks English. They speak Korean. They don't need to speak it. So, I'm saying we train up these young people, not just for Mongolia, but to send out. Now, interestingly enough, Russia, post-communist. China, still communist. North Korea, yeah, dictatorship by a lunatic. Okay, so anyway, we've got these countries where most people cannot enter. Well, Mongolians can go to Russia at will. They can go into China, no visa. They even have diplomatic relations with North Korea. They have exchange students, North Korean study in Mongolia, Mongolian study in North Korea. What better opportunity than to train up people who can go? We can't easily get into these places. And if we want Jesus to return quickly, we have to make sure that this gospel message is spread to every corner, including these ones that are currently locked off. So the long-term goal is we will train up a cadre of Mongolian missionaries, and I'm telling you, they're going to help us finish this work. Now, I had a video that I wanted to share with you about how Gateway has progressed. We got a power there and everything. We're moving forward with this. And one of the reasons why I'm even here currently is I'm on a speaking tour to recruit teachers for the new Junior Academy and Academy. So I've hit all of our majors, well, not all, but in this circuit, I've hit Walla Walla, Andrews, Southern, Berman, that's our former Canadian Union College, Weimar, and then this is my final Sabbath, and I leave tomorrow at 5 in the morning to get back to Mongolia. But it's because we are getting ready, and we need teachers. We need you guys. We need people who are not scared of a little cold. And by the way, the buildings are heated now. So, so yeah, it's not as bad as when I was there before. Food situation has improved dramatically, too. So don't let those things. Toilet paper available everywhere. OK, so 
all of the major obstacles have now been cleared out, right? So if you feel called, don't do a, you know, Jonah thing. Uh, set out your Gideon fleece and see if God does not answer your prayers. I wanted to show you the video, but we, because of time constraints, I, I've left it behind. Do we have time? I was going to say we can... Sh okay, yes, if we have time. It's a four minute, 59 second video, so not quite five. So we can go ahead and show it. It was on, did you guys get it? Okay, so we'll show the video real quick and then we'll have prayer and we'll close. Welcome to Mongolia, the land of endless blue skies, and welcome to the Mongolian mission of Seventh-day Adventists, a proud member of the Worldwide Church of Adventist Brothers and Sisters. Gateway International Education Corporation is a newly established entity tasked with the responsibility of establishing an international junior high and high school for grades 6 through 12, the first of its kind here in Mongolia. Gateway International Academy will not only provide a strong Christian education for our young church members, but its outstanding reputation and attractive curriculum will draw many non-believers to the school, enabling it to serve as a valuable outreach tool. After planning and developing this project for the past two years, by the grace of God, it is slowly taking shape. We are finally moving forward with phase one of construction for the new International Academy in Mongolia. The Gateway Campus is located on 138 acres of beautiful rolling hills only 25 kilometers outside the capital city of Ulaanbaatar. This is just far enough away to avoid the pollution, congestion and commotion of the city while being close enough for students and staff to commute if necessary. The long-term goals for Gateway International Education Corporation is to build not just an international academy but also a wellness center, an agriculture center, a vocational school, and a full-service resort and recreation center. The preliminary construction phase of this vast project began in the spring with the installation of a perimeter fence. This fence not only serves as a security measure, but it prevents livestock from wandering onto the property while grazing on nearby lands. A traditional Mongolian ger was recently built to house our 24-hour security guards who will alternate keeping watch over the campus every other week. We recently received the necessary permits to bring in a high-voltage electricity tower to the campus to serve all our electric power needs. Once power is up and running, we will dig several wells to provide water for all the buildings and the agriculture center. Laying the proper infrastructure for the campus is a high priority since we envision making this campus the center of Adventist education and ministry for many years down the road. Phase one of Gateway International Academy's building project will include the main classroom building, a cafeteria multi-purpose room, a dormitory, an administration building, and 10 staff homes. The total estimated cost for Phase 1 is approximately $5 million. This includes the infrastructure for power, water, and sewage for all the buildings. This is by no means a small amount. 
However, this is God's project, and we believe that our great accountant holds all the means in the world within his hands, and that he has devout and generous stewards around the world who are ready to take up this cause and help bring this important project to fruition. Although outside financial assistance will be needed to cover the initial cost of building up the campus, the plans for the Gateway Institutions call for complete financial independence within five years. Not only will the school be self-sufficient, but the additional income generated by the Agriculture Center and the resort will help meet the financial needs of all the other Gateway entities. In fact, the long-term goal for Gateway is to be a strong commercial resource to help the Mongolia mission attain financial independence. Mongolians, with their natural talent for languages and their central location in the heart of Asia, are the perfect people to train up and send out as missionaries throughout this region, into many areas where others would be less welcome. In order to do so, they need a strong spiritual foundation, and that is where the Gateway Institutions will step in. We plan to prepare an entire army of end-time missionaries to fulfill the call of the Great Commission. If you have been inspired by this video and touched by the Spirit to partner with us in this pioneering ministry, please contact us. We not only need funds, we need people. We need teachers in all subject areas. We need administrators. We need agriculturists. We need instructors for various trades for our vocational school. We need you. If you feel moved to donate to this project, Please check out our website for specific funding needs and give as generously as you are able. And please pray for us. Pray for the Gateway Ministries and for the Lord to continue moving in a mighty way here in Mongolia. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you very much. some brochures and some uh, bookmarks that I brought back from Mongolia and even some keychains and I'll leave them with the pastors here so they can pass them out but uh, the thing that I just want to uh, entreat from you guys is your prayers because you know every step forward Satan is throwing obstacle after obstacle after obstacle because he is not going to let go of his territory territory easily he knows that this is going to be an incredible project to move forward in God's ministry and so Every time I encounter an obstacle, though, I'm feeling more and more assured that this is God's project and that he's moving forward. So through our prayer power with our brothers and sisters around the world, I know that this is going to work. And I know that this is going to be successful in training up that whole cadre of missionaries. Shall we pray? Almighty God, we know that you are the king of the universe. And we acknowledge your greatness. We humbly submit to your will. And we ask to be used. Father, if there's anybody here who feels a call, help them to keep their hearts and minds open to listen and to accept your will in their lives. And Lord, help us, Lord, to continue to pray for the project in Mongolia, the projects next door, the projects everywhere, because we are eagerly awaiting the return of your son, Jesus Christ. And until that day, we ask that you would keep us safe Keep us on the straight and narrow. Help us all to look forward to that wonderful reunion in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.